Welcome to the Parent Points Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Cabot. The mission of this podcast is to help you, the parent, realize and accomplish this truth. You are the primary disciple maker of your child. I truly believe that this podcast only helps one parent grasp this and apply it to their home. It is 100% worth it. Now, I'm so excited, parents, to introduce to you our guest, Luke Lazan. Now, Luke is an author of his book, Your Mess Matters. Uh, he helped launch uh, what they call the Alternative, uh, which, is a, which is a gathering of young people. Uh, and he's now currently the young adults pastor at LifeBridge Church in Orlando, which I'm kind of jealous because I follow him on Instagram, and I think they just go to Disney World whenever they can. It's like right there. It's really cool. I'm <laughs> super jealous. Uh, but specifically, and uh, in his church, he leads this movement of young people, young adults, college students called Quay. And he's seen God do really, really cool things. Uh, to be transparent parents, uh, me and Luke Lazan have a mutual friend uh, named Luke Ayers. Uh, but I just messaged Luke one time uh, on Instagram and said, bro, I'm starting a podcast. Would you hop on? And he replied immediately, yes. And so that was super cool. But Luke, uh, I'm so thankful for you to be here and uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, man? Hey, bro. Thank you for having me. Such an honor to be on here with you. And uh, man, I'm doing all right. Things are going uh, Things are going well. It's a beautiful day here in Florida. And so uh, just really excited about the opportunity to get on here and chat with you a little bit, man. I am super, just super honored and thankful for all the work that you're doing and uh, glad to be a part. Thanks, Luke. I appreciate it. Do you get to go to Disney World whenever you want, man? Is it just like in your backyard? Because I saw you were there like the other day. Well, not whenever I want. You know, I was with some friends the other day that are a lot cooler than I am that could get us in. And then, um, you know, we we from time to time, people at our church can get us in. But the whole COVID thing is keeping us from getting uh, passes. So uh, it's not whenever we want, but it is fairly frequently. People are pretty gracious. Yeah. Listen, bro, I've actually never been to Disney World. Never. Well, well, you come down, man. Let's make it happen. I will, bro. I'll be there. I'll hit you up. I'll hit you up. <laughs> well, uh, Luke, as I told you kind of off the top, man, this podcast is really to help parents uh, yeah. disciple their students well. Listen, I'm a student pastor. I have a passion for student ministry, uh, similar to the passion that you have for young adult ministry. And this is what I tell our parents here is that if we have a student that comes into the middle school ministry at sixth grade, 10, 11, 12 years old, right? They come through our ministry sixth through 12th grade, then they leave or stay locally for college and they don't desire to be a part of the local church. Then we, as the student ministry failed them and their parents. Um, mm -hmm. We've got to cultivate mm -hmm. that as student pastors in here specifically. Um, and so I want us to talk about that. I want us to talk about why it's important from your perspective as a young adults college pastor, why you, when you see students, students in that age range, why it's so important that they were a part of the church. And if they're not, how they get plugged in and all that kind of stuff. But before we go there, I want to talk about your book, Your Mess Matters. And before I, I have some questions for you that I'm, I'm just really eager to ask you because uh, I yeah. read your book, it was incredible. But what I want to do, would you just maybe share kind of some context and some, I guess, calling to write this book? Like why this book? You could have, with your platform, you could have written really anything you wanted to. Uh, but why this? Why why this book? Why is this so important to you? You know, when I initially started thinking through an idea to write a book, because I didn't want to, I didn't write anything 
uh, that I didn't feel like I had any kind of authority to say. And I really didn't want to write at all unless I knew I had something to say. And, uh, you know, contextually, there had been a six month period in my life where I got like deathly ill and we couldn't figure it out for six months. And so it was weird. I, it was during the first year of my marriage. So Lindsay and I were, we hadn't even hit a year mark. Uh, we were six months in. I had planted a church. Lindsay and I had both planted this church with another couple in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, everything just felt like it was crumbling around us. And in the middle of that, you know, in a, in a church plant season, I was the only other guy on staff with Matt Slaughter, the head pastor of our church. And so there was a time where he was like, dude, I know you're kind of like dying over here, but at the same time, uh, I need somebody that can get up there and preach even just for like a few weeks. Cause I can't preach six months in a row. Right. And I was like, all right, I think I can muster up the strength to do like a, like a mini series or something. And I ended up calling that series by dirt and blood. And I wrote it out of my own kind of suffering and uncertainty uh, and it it really ministered to me as I was writing it because of what the Holy Spirit was teaching me in the middle of all those moments. And as I went through it and started preaching it, it picked up on the podcast and it was really ministering to other people. And I came to find out, you know, a lot of people have like that one or two things that have happened in their life that really shaped them uh, or really changed the trajectory of their life and their faith. And this had been one of those for me. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write a book uh, on this. I'm just going to keep writing what I've already written and see what God does with it. And he's done some incredible things through it. And so I'm uh, just thrilled and thankful for how he's uh, used it to reach people, honestly. Wow. That's that's really cool, man. That is really, really cool. Well, at the very yeah. beginning, very beginning of your book, you kind of share, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth at all, so please correct me. Sure. Um but it almost seemed like a panic attack that happened to you at the intro of your book mm-hmm. that you kind of that you kind of start off with, um, you know, middle school. Uh, you know, when I was in middle school, I never would have thought of, uh, you know, panic attacks, anxiety, depression, suicide, cutting, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But man, our middle school and high school students—they're facing that right now, and they're facing panic attacks. Yeah. We have students that are in that right now. So, um, is that what that was? Would you mind sharing a little bit of that experience? Uh, yeah, no, not at all, man. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I tried to be as vulnerable as I could in the book. Uh, and, and I, I love these questions because it just really is just the honest, honest truth about things I was dealing with. But, you know, I had, when they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, they had put me on steroids and steroids can make you react to things in lots of different ways. And so, um, one of the things that it does is it makes you like really volatile. And, uh, so I started to have like a mini, panic attack, but it was more anxiety induced. Anxiety is a, is a monstrosity, uh, of a, of a battle that I've faced in my life. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to honestly write a book on that at some point, but, um, I just, everything just kind of collapsed, you know, it just felt like a, a toothpick had fallen on the logs that were already sitting on my chest. And that was enough to kind of put me in a position where I just had a meltdown in our kitchen at the time. And, you know, Lindsay's on the couch freaking out, not really sure what's going on because I'm just kind of like between screaming and sobbing. And, uh, it was just, it was really just like an anxiety induced panic attack that, um, I just had not foreseen. Mm. And it was, uh, it was 
it was the breaking point for sure in that whole process. Wow. Wow. Is that something that you're noticing just from your vantage point of your platform as well as uh, being a pastor uh, of, of young adults? Is, is that, are you seeing that more and more in the people that you're engaged with that just struggle with panic attacks, depression, yeah. anxiety? Yeah, I did. So it's interesting. I did a sermon at our, our ministry a couple weeks ago. I just felt like I was supposed to change what I had done to something else. And so I did a sermon called, why am I so anxious? Mm. And that has been one of the most commented on sermons that I think I've ever preached simply because it's such a thread that runs through a generation. Um, and, and I think there's lots of reasons for that, but you know, it, it is something that we have to be addressing because it's so prevalent. And at this point, the unfortunate side of it is I think it's an epidemic on a level where it's not that, you know, some people have this really bad. It's almost like everybody in this generation has it to some extent, uh, deep levels of anxiety and depression. Some just happen to be on the more extreme end of it than the other, but we're all battling it in some form or fashion. And I'd even put like FOMO in there as one of those forms and right. fashions, you know, so it can be something as superficial as a casual joke that we'll make along the way. Like, Oh, I've got FOMO. And it's like, Oh, I'm kidding, but I'm not really you know, right, right. all the way to, I'm having a panic attack in my kitchen and I don't really know where to go from here. Mm. So it's a, it's definitely an epidemic and something that we're trying to figure out. Uh, I think just as, as ministers, parents, pastors all over the country. Right. Absolutely. Well, in your book, very early on in your book, this is a quote that you, one of the phrases that you write, you say this, you say, if I took all of us and put our thoughts on a projector, we'd probably find that for each of us, somewhere on our journey, there's that thing or things we could point to and say, that right there is the mess that I'm afraid not even God could clean up or want to get near. Um, so, man, I want to ask you this question. Why is it so easy for us to fall into that lie trap that we're the only ones struggling with this quote thing, right? We say all the time, you know, 2020 vision uh, or 2020 is high, hindsight, right? Like if you after this yeah. and you look back, oh, absolutely. That's what I would do. Why is our vision so bad to see that we're not the only ones have going through this thing that's causing us to feel so isolated and almost uh, forgotten about by God? Yeah. You know, the, the hard thing that I'm trying to pry people free of is that there's, there's something within us that I think culture and society has told us we've grown up at a time, especially right now where image is everything all the way down to identity. And so we will do anything to protect our public image even if that means that we have to keep some secrets and we've seemed to think that there's safety in our secrets and really there's not, uh, mm -hmm. we're all wrestling through the same things. And so we tend to, um, we tend to think, well, if I've got to keep secrets that that's safer because it protects the public image or, you know, the way this person will view me or that person will view me. Well, the problem with that is then we all are just dying on the inside because we're trying to portray something that's not even real on the outside. And then that's where a lot of anxiety seems to go 
uh, undiagnosed or undetected until it's reached a pinnacle where it's like, I don't know if I've reached the point of no return. And no one's really sure if you're lying or being honest or what's going on, because we've done everything we could to not show this to the rest of the world. And by the time it does finally come out, it's something that we don't have control of. Mm. Mm. That's strong. That's strong. On that same thread, you uh, one last thing about your book, and then I want to kind of yeah. shift, shift this to the parent stuff. Um, you have a chapter in there called The Soil You Despise. Um, and yeah. uh, summing it up in my words, you know, just not getting over what God has done in your life that's a mess, yeah. right? Like not getting it over. Would you kind of share, um, you know, how does that how does that apply to parents? Because this is what happens. Parents uh, of middle school and high schoolers, um, uh, we have parents that go on one side of the spectrum that become best friends with their kid, um, mm-hmm. and then they have no authority in the home. Then we ha- we go on the mm-hmm. other side of the spectrum, and we have almost dictators in the house, and the kid doesn't want anything to do with their parents because it's legalistic and really harsh, and there's no grace and forgiveness. Um, right. But we also have a lot of parents that stand off because they say, you know, my kid, like they're, I'm not worried about what they're going to do. Like God's going to protect them. Like, but in reality, these kids are going through messes. They have messes in their life and our parents need to engage it and equip it. And so I kind of answered the first part, like, would you challenge parents to engage the mess that their kid is in? You know, you going through your mess, writing this book, what did your parents do? Or what would you encourage parents to do? of middle school or high schoolers when we know that they're going through that anxiety or depression or that mess, that identity crisis, whatever it is, because we might get to a point where we despise our soil in an unhealthy way. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting in that first chapter when I had the panic attack, you know, Lindsay reached out to my parents who lived nearby and they broke down the door and came through. Mm. And I think there is, there is something in every kid that even at, even at the age of whatever I was at the time, 23, there, there's something in a child that wants to see their parents kick down the door and come through for them. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I immediately felt like I I not only have a network of support, but I have people that are in my corner no matter what. And then I realized there was no safety in my secrets, but there was safety in my family. Uh, there, there was, there was something about the way that they came through in that moment that really made me realize, man, you know, I can put everything on the table, uh, because if they can see me like this, you know, they can handle anything. I think for parents, you know, there is a, there's always that, that difficult balance of involvement, but I I can say just from experience with people and wounds that I'm dealing with, not necessarily with people from sixth to 12th grade, but really for people that are young adults, I'm having to figure out how to help patch up wounds from parents that weren't super, super involved, even parents that they, you know, I was like, Oh, well, was your, was your dad not involved? Was your mom not involved? They're like, no, they were there. It's just like we didn't talk about anything. There's a deep desire within every kid to have their parents involved uh, in in their mess and in their struggle. And even if it's an ongoing one, uh, to realize that they're not going anywhere. And it's really a picture of what of what God does for us and how he is to us. Mm. 
man, I really love this transition here because you made that comment about, you know, you're having, you're counseling young adults and you're patching up wounds from, from in young adults' lives that from that stem from parent relationships. And so you oversee a, a ministry called Quay at, at your church and you deal with college and young adults. And, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing the product of student ministries in Florida, right? Whether they came from your church or not, young adults were either they're a part of a church or not, but they might've been plugged into a uh, youth ministry. And you're really seeing the product of that. And you're seeing the product of the parents when these, you know, so-called kids are now adults, right? They're in college, they've graduated college, they're, they're entering into society and making a difference. We say here that, you know, there's data to back up that if there's three or more adults involved in a student's life between sixth through 12th grade, they're three times more likely to stay engaged to a local church. I just want to ask you this from your perspective, and this might be very harsh and and uh, maybe not nice, but do yeah. you see a difference in the young adults that you minister to that grew up in the local church that had a healthy relationship with adults in the church with like, you know, in a small group where they had men pouring into them or, or girls had ladies pouring into them? I mean, do you see that difference um, and people that you interact with in regards to the young adults that you ever see? I would say, first off, absolutely unequivocally, yes. And I can tell within the first couple conversations I have with somebody if they've been discipled by somebody or not. Mm, right. uh, my best leaders are all individuals that for the most part, well, I'm thinking, yeah, for the most part have had some level of discipleship or mentorship in their life. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I think a lot of it is because, you know, these are, these are individuals that are not only eager to learn, but are also willing to humble themselves and listen and allow somebody that is chronologically, that is chronologically superior to them to uh, pay their dumb tax. And so it's a, it's awesome. I think, uh, I think it's a, it's a major leadership thing in our ministry to see people that have been discipled and uh, encouraged by adults somewhere along their time in the local church. Mm, absolutely. Um, uh, to back to the parent perspective here, do you, I mean, just with the young adults that you, that you minister to, do you see, um, them really, you alluded to earlier, desiring their parents. But when, when you think back to those, those people that you minister to in middle school ministry or in high school ministry, if you were to imagine them, do you imagine that their parents were these people that, you know, pulled out the guitar around the fireplace and had every, you know, had all the old hymns and were singing together? Or do you imagine these parents that really discipled their kids? Well, do you imagine them just really doing life with their kids and really just having everyday Jesus conversations with them? Because that's one of the things that we hear here is that I don't have time to disciple my student and I don't know how. And I think our parents put this unbelievable expectation on themselves to say, well, we've got to have all of these things. We've got to have a guitar. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to say the right verses. We've got to do the right things. And then they scare themselves out of actually discipling their kids. Um, so I just wanted to get your opinion on that. I mean, do you sense any of that, just this, this thought process of just everyday life with their kid? 
Yeah, I don't think I actually don't think that like breaking out the guitar and doing that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I I think Grant Skeldon, a, a good friend of mine, he right. likes to say that discipleship is not adding somebody to your calendar it's including them in your calendar mm. uh it's not saying once a week you know we're gonna have the guitar time and you know we're gonna open up and read a passage out of scripture it's it's just it's walking with your child every day uh and it's just where it's it's where you're having an active ongoing display of faith in your own life and also conversations uh as they're as you're taking them to school or picking them up or, you know, you're sitting at the dinner table or catching up with them over coffee, you know, some morning before they take off and drive off to school. It, it's not as complex as we've made it sound. I think we have uh, in the church, we have so over spiritualized the ideal, the idea of discipleship that we have made it this sort of unattainable feeling and thing that we need to do. And so we go, well, I don't have the time. And I'm like, well, if they're living in your house, you have the time and the proximity, like you're never going to have ever again in your life. Uh, and so I think it, it boils down just to the way that you're living your life uh, alongside them. And as you lead them, it doesn't have to be anything over the top by any, by any means. Right. Yeah. I think that's great. All right, Luke, I got two more questions for you. And then I just want to give yeah. you final, final, uh, uh, place to speak to our parents. Um, as you, again, minister to these young adults on a large scale, what is the one thing that you would want to see college and young adults have from their parents as they enter into the ministry that you uh, that you oversee or just young adults going into the world? Like, what would you say to a parent of a middle school or a high school and say, this is one thing that you should really ingrain in your student or in your child, or this is one attitude or attribute or characteristic that you would say, man, parents like focus on this as they transition into this next phase. I would, I would say by far and away, the number one thing that I would love to see there is, is parent involvement in their child's life, meaningful parent involvement in the life of their children whether that's taking them out, if you got daughters or whatever, and it feels more comfortable to call it dates, or if you've got sons, take them on dates too, you know, like go out, have meaningful conversations with them, speak into their life, into their failures, into, into everything that they're doing. Because mm. I, I have inherited and we've all inherited at what feels like sometimes a parentless generation, right. um, it, it's it's a bunch of kids that grew up in homes where the parents were present, but they weren't involved. Uh, and so they had a room to sleep in and they had a car to drive uh, and they'd even get money from their parents. Right. But they never they never had meaningful conversations that helped shape the way that they think shape the way that they engage the world or don't engage the world. And I think if parents would, uh, would just simply take those, those few moments that you get throughout the day where you recognize maybe even a little bit of apprehension towards the awkwardness to just embrace that moment and ask, Hey, how are things going? What's going on in your life? What's really bothering you mm. um, right now? Is there anything that's that's really difficult for you right now at school? Like, do you feel like you're succeeding in any places? You know, what are some of your passions? Just 
just really taking interest, which I know can sound like, well, isn't that what all parents do? And, um, uh, it's not, it's yeah. not. Um, and, and I know the kids can be hard too, uh, but here's, here's the thing. Sometimes you just start, you just start tapping things right now and it'll crack at some point. And it may not be till they get, you know, a year or two out of the home or something like that. But usually it's at that point where they realize how important it was to grow up in a home where they had parents involved and they, they always come back. They always get better because of the things that their parents have uh, had conversations with them about because they're just, they're just wiser. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last question. Uh, yeah. For us to ignore the fact that parents don't have their own messes while they have kids in the home is naive of us. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if your mess really matters, right? If if you say that, I I believe it. I mean, if we believe that, if we if we are saying that, how should parents allow their students to see their mess to yeah. kind of use it as a discipleship opportunity for their students, right? Does that does that question make sense to you, Luke? Yeah, yeah, it does. I, you know, nothing in the world is is more inviting and kind of it's it can be somewhat terrifying to a to a child at first but at at the end of the day it it is such a bridge for unity within the home when when parents i would say uh involve their child in that mess uh there would be multiple times growing up where uh, my father lost his job he was in the consumer electronics business at the height of things when you know, TVs are taken off like PlayStation, all that stuff. And so, you know, he worked for Sony and Polaroid and Samsung and everything, Vizio. And uh, there would be times where there would be a big change and he'd get laid off or something like that. And it was never hidden from us growing up as kids. They'd always sit us down and they'd say, okay, so here's the deal guys. Um, You know, myself, my brother, my mom, my dad, uh, you know, my dad would get us around and he'd say, I lost my job today. And then he'd say, and here's, here's what's going to happen as a result of that. We're going to have to live a little bit tighter than we usually would. And also I want you to know it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take care of it. And there was something so, so unbelievably attractive about the fact that I was involved in the family business, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't ultimately my responsibility to dig us out. And so because I was involved, I would say, Hey dad, are you okay? Hey mom, like are things going to be okay? And then that would be a space where they'd say, Luke, we're not even the ones who provide God provides Mm, like God's going to provide. And so even those initial conversations about the mess that's happening in a parent's life, if you involve the child, it's usually a second conversation that then allows us, that allows parents to be able to bridge that, oh no, what's going to happen gap with God's got this, God's going to do this. And he always has, and he always will. And so that, that's what I would say, just involve them in, in a way that is appropriate. You right. know, obviously there's marital struggles and things of that nature can be, um, you know, a little bit more uh, sensitive but uh, to the degree that you see fit and pray about and, and feel like God would allow you to do so, I would just say involve them. It's not going to scare them to the point where they're just going to be absolutely mortified. It's mm-hmm. going to make them feel more involved in the family. If God didn't get involved in your mess, well, then how much of the part of the family would you be? We'd be completely mm-hmm. cast out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because 
we were able to have God move towards us in our weakest and, and darkest moments that bonded not only us to the family of God, but to other people that are also a part of the family of God and ultimately a family is people, especially if you're a part of the church that says, oh, God rescued you out of your mess and redeemed you so that you would be righteous in his standing. Me too. Right. Mm, that's so good. Look, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, man. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. Well, man, before I let you go, uh, what are you reading, listening to, you know, seen in blogs or audio books or podcasts that has really just impacted you? It doesn't have to be anything parent oriented or ministry oriented, just anything that you've picked up that has really impacted Luke Lazon. Yeah. You know, um, right now I'm reading a book called the gospel comes with a house key. I think it's actually great for parents. I think, it, I think it's great for everybody. It's, it's very good. It's Rosaria Butterfield. Who's uh, the author. And she just talks about, um, just the way that her family lives with a, with a hospitality posture and uh, some of her story there. It's uh, it's amazing. It's actually great for families. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's been, that's been super impactful uh, for me as of late. And then also, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, 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 I love carrying you off. I love his yep. podcast. And uh, I listened to a podcast he did with Rob Palenka the other day, who is yeah, the dude. Los Angeles Lakers uh, GM and uh, best friends with Kobe Bryant. And just hearing some of the, the things that he had to say were so, um, so great for me as I'm trying to navigate what it looks like to be a better leader and, and, uh, and honestly follower. So it was, it was awesome to, uh, to get some insight there. And so those have been two things that have really been speaking to me as of late. Hmm. That's really good. Luke, where can, uh, where can our parents and other parents find you on Instagram and, uh, website? Can you give us those? Yeah, it's just, I'm just, uh, the benefits of a weird last name or that you have the same social media handle on everything. It's just okay. at Luke Lazon, L U K E L E Z O N. And, uh, yeah, you can find me anywhere. If you just look me up like that. Perfect. That'd be great. Well, Luke, thank you for the conversation, man. I really appreciate it. Parents, uh, I hope you've been encouraged by this episode and I, I hope it has pushed you to remain in the calling to be the primary disciple maker of your student. Your student's being discipled by something and someone. Uh, they're not not being discipled. So parents, you have the prime opportunity to disciple them in the name of Jesus Christ. So I hope and pray that you take that seriously. Parents, go parent like you never have before. <laughs>